starting to look at 3D printing concrete. The nice thing is that you can do on-site manufacturing in environments where you know it'd be hard to get skilled and qualified labor out to the site, and it can work all night. Hello and welcome to another edition of the AEM Thinking Forward podcast, advancing the equipment manufacturing industry. I'm Dusty Weiss, AEM's professional nerd, window seat denizen, and podcast host. And additive manufacturing has been used to shape pieces from plastic, metal, and now concrete. But what's impressive about this new 3D printed concrete technology isn't just the medium, it's the scale. It's envisioned as a new way to print entire buildings in the future. And in this episode, we talk with Dr. Brian Post from Oak Ridge National Laboratory, where they're developing these techniques with AEM member company Oshkosh Corporation. We also explore with a couple other AEM members what 3D printed concrete might mean for the future of the industry. It's these sorts of cutting-edge insights that we work to bring you here on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Each month, we explore a new subject area to help keep your business on the vanguard of the industry. So if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed so that you get an update every time we put out a new edition. Just find us in your favorite podcast app and hit that subscribe button. In that vein, I'd also be hugely appreciative if you told me what you think of our show. Rate or review us in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your comments help other industry pros find our podcast and help me keep it relevant to what you do. So, up until recently, additive manufacturing has played a pretty limited role in the construction and agriculture industry. Mostly, it's a means of prototyping or tooling among equipment manufacturers. But that could be on the verge of changing as a result of a new partnership between AEM member Oshkosh Corp. and the federal government's Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Oak Ridge helps U.S. companies develop new materials and technologies to compete on a global scale. And you may remember they partnered with AEM to debut the world's first 3D-printed excavator at ConExpo ConAg 2017. We discussed it actually in episode one of this podcast. Now, what they're working on with Oshkosh could be another game-changer in construction, an apparatus and technique for 3D printing structures out of concrete. I caught up with Dr. Brian Post from Oak Ridge at our recent Thinking Forward event in D.C., and he filled me in on the details. About uh, 1993, we had a researcher named Randy Land. Um, he wrote in his lab notebook that I think, you know, given the state of current robotics technologies, his very early stages of digital computing and technology with robotics and gantry systems, he said, I think we could probably use robotics to put materials in places and automate construction. Right, and so he wrote this down. Nobody was interested. It was, it was such a far out idea that it just never occurred to, to people that there are markets like labor and, and, and energy, and this is like, this doesn't make sense at this time. And so uh, that got tabled. And in about 2009, 2010 timeframe, we were starting to look at, uh, we brought it back up again, our, our research group. And DOE was like, okay, well, we'll give you some money to start playing around with it. And so we built this system. That system, we demonstrated it, printed some concrete objects, and then it too fell out, right? But at the same time, Lockheed Martin approached us about, can we do large-scale polymer manufacturing, right, for tooling uh, applications? So I want to build a prototype aircraft. Can I make the, sheet, the forms that I'd use to make sheet metal parts or composite parts off of? Uh, and so we started doing that, and that led into this area of big area additive manufacturing, 3D printing objects on scales, which you can only do, uh, you know, through conventional manufacturing. And then 
that led into the large-scale metal that we use for the excavator. Uh, and I feel like my, my research goal uh, as, a, as a researcher at Oak Ridge is to make everything that Randy came up with a long time ago into reality. And so we're coming full circle back to concrete printing. Um, and we're trying to look at on-site, fieldable deposition systems. So can we take uh, existing robotics technology, cable-driven robots, and deploy them to a construction site so you can put a couple base stations out, get an overhead crane, and then with a quick calibration be able to, to figure out where you are in space and, and work with the, the lay of the land and, and actually print concrete structures in situ. Uh, and so that, that's what we're really starting to do, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. So paint a picture for me. What does this thing look like in operation? You mentioned that it's cable-driven. I yeah. picture your four bays, one on each corner, and that defines sort of the bounds of the project. And then you've got a crane overhead, and then this thing that dangles in the middle and does what exactly? That, that's great. That's a great uh, picture of it. Essentially, imagine you had four mobile vehicles, right, or, or trailers that you could deploy to the drop site. <laughs> Um, they deploy outriggers, they, they become stationary pieces of equipment, uh, and then there's cables. There's three cables coming from one direction, two cables from another direction, one that comes up over the top, and then there are stay cables up to a single point where you can attach a crane, right? And so I go and I deploy these mobile vehicles, they become stationary objects, I measure their locations, and then I can work out through the geometry uh, what the inverse kinematics are, what cable lengths I need in order to move this head around in space. This head has a concrete extruder on it uh, and a hopper so you can keep loading concrete into it. Uh, and then it extrudes it out as a as kind of a paste, much like a, a hot glue gun. You're squeezing it out of a nozzle, forming a bead of material, and then laying that down layer by layer to create three-dimensional objects. And, and doing that layer by layer process with this concrete extruder, how big an object can you create at this point? At this point, we're working in kind of a mid-scale demonstrator system that's at about a 20-foot diameter by about 10 feet tall. Um, but we're working with our industrial partner, Oshkosh, which makes McNeilis trucks and Conico um, batch production plants to go much larger to, to something than the order that can build a, something the size of a building. So we're talking about hundreds of feet by hundreds of feet, potentially. That's the target. That's the target. That's incredible. Oh, it's going to be fun. There's a lot of work to get there, um, but it, but it's something that we've started a partnership with with an industrial supplier, and and we're trying to make that a make that a realistic goal. Now, I want to get back to that in a second, but watching the development of additive manufacturing, 3D printing technology over the last five to ten years, one of my favorite things has always been watching these time lapse videos where they show in fast motion this head moving around, laying down layer upon layer, and eventually you watch this thing grow out of nothing. That's how this is gonna work with concrete too, but with a project that big, how long does this process take right now? So, so we're targeting somewhere around, you know, a couple of cubic yards of material an hour. Imagine like you're printing the formwork on a site, right? So traditionally the way I would do concrete is I would, I would create all of these forms. If I'm doing anything complex, that formwork is expensive and, and time consuming. Uh, and then I'll go back in pour material in, strip the forms. There's a lot of labor and a lot of time associated with it. What we want to be able to do is quickly get on site, deploy this thing, print all that form work, right? And then we can go back in 
and do the bulk concrete deposition afterwards in areas that we weren't able to print. So the idea is that you can go relatively quickly. Um, and the nice thing is it doesn't really care about what time of day it is. If you can make it invariant to the weather conditions, you know, what the, what the environment is. So you can do on-site manufacturing in environments where, you know, it'd be hard to get skilled and qualified labor out to the sites and, and things of that nature. And it can work all night. And it can work all night, right? And so if you look at like a frame, like um, I know when I built my house, it took about two weeks for them to frame it all up and start putting walls up and that kind of thing, right? But that was, they were working from nine to five every day. Imagine you, it's a little bit slower to do it through additive manufacturing, but if you're working 24 hours a day for, for four or five days, you could probably do the same thing. When you're working with it in the lab right now and building these structures that are 20 by 20 by 10, how long does it run then to build a typical structure? So, so we're still, we're, we're in the very early stages here, developing new materials that can have the right kind of performance for these kind of applications and, and developing the robotic process and controls that we need in order to do this. But we're getting close, but we've been able to, to demonstrate, you know, printing uh, 40 pounds of material a minute. So, um, so we can lay down concrete pretty, pretty quickly, and that's, we think we can go even faster than that. Um, hopefully we'll get up to the four or five cubic yards an hour type scenario where we can build structures in a, in a reasonable time frame. Now, another advantage as we look at deploying additive manufacturing on an industrial scale, uh, very often is that through generative design and other engineering processes, you're able to build these almost honeycomb designs that are much stronger but also use much less material than your more traditional designs. Is that an advantage that you envision for this concrete 3D printing as well? You know, when we say one of the strengths of added manufacturing is the ability to put the material you want exactly where you want it, when you want it, right? And so uh, what you're talking about is kind of this topological optimization that can happen, right? So I take a look at my structure, I say most of this material is probably not that useful. Uh, I want to I take a look at where structure is actually needs this material and that's the only place I want to put it right and so I want to start to optimize my structures to, to further performance and not necessarily the way in which I would build the forms right and so when we're pouring concrete today we make formwork we pour that and and it's completely filled with concrete and there's no necessary need for that right we can look at the structure figure out what the loads are and then say I don't really need as much material here or I don't need as much material there I could replace this you know, monolithic structure with a honeycomb or a lightweight structure reduce the amount of cementitious materials we use reduce the amount of building uh, waste that we have uh, it's a really interesting opportunity that we have in construction if you look at traditional construction I think about uh, I was reading a statistic one time. It was about 54%, I believe, of the municipal waste uh, that's generated in the U.S. is construction waste, right? And you think that that's because when we buy building materials, they come in certain lengths, right? And if I'm going to buy a 2 by 4 it's 6 feet, 8 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet. When I when I go to make my structure, I have to cut those to length, and then that... Some lasts. of that's not going to yeah, get exactly. used. It's going in the dumpster. Exactly. Right, and so through additive manufacturing, right, I'm using material, putting exactly where I need to put it, and, and I have relatively low waste. How did this partnership come about with Oshkosh Corporation, which is a very large and prominent AEM member? They've got holdings in all sorts of different industries here, but did they approach you, and uh, what were they hoping to gain by this? So, so we have what we call cooperative research and development agreements, um, and that's 
a program that DOE gives uh, us funds in order to, to help industry. And so Department of Energy. Department of Energy. Um, and so the Advanced Manufacturing Office of DOE um, is funding us to, to look at basic research in these different types of manufacturing technologies. But there's also a, a, a pot of money where we can look at, okay, an industrial company will approach us with a problem. You know, if we can solve this problem, we can make a real impact on life cycle energy it takes to manufacture things. DOE, will you support us to help this company push this forward? And so Oshkosh is one of those companies that came to us. We were starting to look back at, at 3D printing concrete. Uh, they make uh, Conico, the batch production plants. They make the McNeilis truck family, um, so getting concrete from the batch production plant to the site. They make JLG, which is the work handling uh, platforms that you that you have on site. So the question was, once they get concrete to the site, what do they do with it, right? And so what we want to try to do is say, okay, well, imagine you get concrete to the site, the right kind of concrete. Can we take that extra step to, to build the structure that you really want? Uh, and so I, that's why the uh, the partnership with Oshkosh is, is really important and, and, and exciting for us. And I think what's exciting about it for them is that you're taking the industry of building structures, something that there have been advances in design over the years, but basically it's been the same process for thousands of years. You put one brick on top of the other and you hope it doesn't fall down. And you're potentially redefining that entire paradigm there. How could this really be a game changer for the construction industry? So so I think you're exactly right. Compared to the other types of industries that were really rapidly impacted by the, you know, the industrial revolution and automation and computing, right? Construction is, is lagged behind those. Um, but we, we're, we're always careful to think of additive manufacturing as a tool in the toolbox, right? It's not a replacement for any current technique or technology. It's an addition to, it's a plus. You know, I think about it like surgical robots, right? So you're doing a surgery, you get to a point, I could do this a lot better if I brought in this robot, right? Same thing with, with building stuff, right? I get, I get to some point, I go, uh, it would be a lot easier or a lot better or a lot more cost effective if I could bring in a robot for this particular operation, right? So that's what I want added it to be. I want it to be this tool that you can bring in that you know, exists within the, the construction landscape. So I don't think it's going to be a replacement for any specific technology. I think it's going to be an additional value that you could bring to the, to the, the industry. We started to discuss this uh, a few moments ago, but I wanted to go deeper into it. Uh, that of which applications do you think are custom geared for an additive manufacturing concrete process? What sorts of scenarios do you think this could be a real game changer in? So I, I, can, I can give you an idea of, of you know, low-cost disaster relief uh, housing, that kind of thing. We're, you know, the labor, the labor pool has moved out of the location um, where you need to, to build structures, right, to get people back to living in, in those kind of environments. I think it was 60 or 70 percent of the world lives in substandard housing. Uh, that, that wouldn't meet codes for the environments that the, these structures are being built in. Um, and so those are automatic targets that we can start to look at. Other ones are, are um, I know the, the Army Corps of Engineers, who, who have been our partners on, on some printing projects. They're looking at you know, forward operating bases and, and how do you build structures 
for, for barracks and, and things of that nature um, without having to engage the entire supply chain to bring materials directly from the U.S. out to these locations, right? Can you source local materials, use that to build these structures? You can get concrete anywhere in the world, right? And so it's, a, it's an interesting type of material that, that I think there's a lot of use for. Um, the other one is, is energy installations, right? So most of these things are, are constructed in remote environments, be they dams or, or towers, and you need some way of, of providing these structures on site. And so getting skilled labor to move out into the middle of a cornfield in Iowa for nine months while you build a wind farm uh, is troubling and problematic. So could you, could you reduce the amount of uh, labor capital that's necessary to do that and increase the amount of renewable energy that we can provide to the U.S.? Right. I think those are all really interesting scenarios to consider. And uh, certainly, I imagine that there are people in those industries following these developments uh, very closely. Um, that much said, with 3D printing as a newer technology, it's been demonstrated to be effective in a lot of areas, but it also has its fair share of limitations. What are those limitations that you've encountered so far with 3D printed concrete? What are the challenges you face and, and how are you addressing them? Oh, there's all kinds of challenges. That's, that's one of the best parts about being a researcher, right, is that I get to try to understand what these challenges are and then look and deep, dive deeper into them and figure out how we can try to solve them. And so you know, there's, of course, material challenges, right? I need this magic material that flows well, can be pumped, uh, but as soon as it exits the nozzle, I want it to freeze up and form a geometry and stay there, right? So that's one. Then I'm doing this layer by layer, so I want to make sure that the layers bond with each other. I need some sort of reinforcement. I need to have, figure out how to include reinforcement in these structures because concrete can handle great compressive loads but is, is, is poor intention, so I need to be able to put reinforcing elements in these things. The equipment is, is in a completely uh, another challenge. And we're finding with additive, there's some really interesting ways in which you can manipulate the way in which you're depositing material because it is what we call a temporospatial deposition problem, right? So I am controlling the energy, the material, uh, and the placement at the same time. On the metal systems, for example, we found that by controlling the amount of energy, controlling the rate of cooling within an object, by changing the way in which we expose the material to energy, uh, we can control the way in which the grain structure is formed, right? And so you can say, I want a certain grain structure in one part of my part, I want a different grain structure in another part of my part, and you can grade it in between. And so this is really a cool thing that you can do with this technology. One of the problems is that we're not doing that today with this technology, right? And so each part that comes off the machine can be radically different. Uh, and so you want to be able to understand how you can go and qualify these parts. Right? Codes and standards are going to be an incredible challenge to overcome to look at uh, on-site construction because now I've got this material blend. It's happening over time. It's not coming in one big truck. It's, it's being you know, generated over time. I can change the blend to suit the environment or the specific structural needs. I need fiber in one location. I don't need fiber in another location. I need you know, steel in this location. I don't need steel in this location. I want to you know, build this up as a thicker wall. I want that a thinner wall. Right? Understanding how these challenges play into you know, the way in which we build structures today uh, and the way that we, we qualify those builds, those inspections and those critical standards organizations is, is really a, a major challenge. 
What's really funny to me is that when I ask you that question about the potential challenges you face, most people address challenges like, oh yeah, there's this hurdle I've got to get over, and your eyes light up. You're like, oh yeah, problems to solve. <laughs> it's that uh, researcher engineer mentality that's, there. That's exactly what, what I, I think our strength is, is that we look at these big problems. We say, okay, in seven months I want to print a car. Right, and so that was like the, one of the first things we did with the large-scale polymer systems. Like seven months, we want to be at IMTS printing a car. I say, okay, that's the that's the stretch goal. We want to get there. What do we need to do now to get there? So we start chugging through things. We need material. We need a machine. We need a deposition system. We need some way of controlling the the temperature in the environment. We need uh, X, Y, Z. Right, and then you go, okay, I do just enough to get me to that point where I build the car, and that was a huge stretch, and we had to we had to really shoot um, for the moon to get there. And then you go, okay, now I'm going to decompress after we've done that, and I say, okay, what were the things that were problems, right? What are the things that were challenges? Can we go back and now systematically address those through a long-term research program? so that we can really push this technology to where it needs to be, to be accepted by industry, be useful for people. So looking at 3D printed concrete then, where does that technology need to get, do you think, to be considered useful by the industry? What's your end goal for this tech? So I, I don't like to set end goals for things. I, I think you know, we need to develop what would be short-term applications. You know, what can we start looking at that those standards might be reduced? Disaster housing is a great one, right? Things where uh, we can take technology and, there, and there's pieces missing today that we can directly apply it. And then we say, okay, well now as this technology progresses, it's going to get better and better and better and better. And, and how does that allow us to enable more applications, newer things? I used to work in surgical robots, so that's why I keep coming up with these. But it was like, you know, when the Da Vinci systems first came out, there was like one FDA-approved procedure that they could do. As the tools evolve and get better and better, uh, there's new procedures, there's new techniques that are being applied. You start to expand to all of these other procedures, uh, and the, the industry keeps growing. Right? And I think we're seeing the same thing in additive, right? Initially, everybody said it's for prototyping. We're going to build prototypes using this technology. And now we're getting to the point where we've switched from rapid prototyping, the, the moniker of rapid prototyping, to additive manufacturing because people started to realize that, you know, if I get the right materials and I get the right process and I control it in the right way, then I can actually make something that, that would replace a traditionally manufactured component. And I can do that in certain applications where, you know, there, there's a cost-benefit analysis that says this is more cost-effective or this is a better part or, you know, it reduces life cycle energy, which is what we're really interested in. Uh, I think we're going to get the same thing in construction. Right now, there's probably some short-term places where it really fits well. And then we'll see as the technology progresses and gets better and better and you get the ability to control the structure of components. You get the ability to, you know, increase the geometric complexity. Uh, unlimit architects' freedom and designing new structures. See where it goes. I look at uh, something like the Sagrada Familia in uh, Barcelona as, man, I bet they wish they had some additive manufactured concrete <laughs> technology to build that thing. But that much said, you were showing me some videos on your phone earlier of this concrete extruder in action running in your laboratory at Oak Ridge. 
A, if, uh, if you're able to, I'd love to share some of that video. Uh, we'll put a link in the description of the podcast and people can click and watch that on YouTube or whatever. But what's it like for you to be on site in the lab when they run this thing? Oh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a blast. We have a, we have a tight team of, of, of researchers that are working on this problem. Um, and, and it's rapid. Um, the, the way in which we work, we try to shoot for these short-term goals, just like printing the car, right? And so we say, oh, what are the things that we need to do today? What are the things we need to do um, three months down the road? And, and when this machine's running, it's really cool. It's like I get to do the controls work on it, which is a lot of fun because it's really this cable-driven, uh, flexible system that we get to try to make work. We've been working on calibration methods, and, and we can get pretty accurate parts out of this thing, and it's pretty exciting because it's this big spider-looking thing that's super quiet. Most, most 3D printers are pretty loud. This thing doesn't make well, hardly any sound. Uh, and it's just kind of cool making parts. Well, watching the video was absolutely awesome. It, it kind of gives you goosebumps watching it in action. And I think it bears repeating that Oak Ridge National Laboratory is a Department of Energy federally funded laboratory that's open to anybody that wants to come in and partner with it. And so for our members who may be listening and have been considering exploring new uses for this kind of technology, how do they get involved with you? So Oak Ridge is, is, was, of course, started during the Manhattan Project, uh, looking at manufacturing technologies to, to make uh, nuclear weapons. Since then, we've developed some really core strategic areas, new material development, high-performance computing. Right now, we have the world's fastest supercomputer that goes back and forth between us and China. <laughs> uh, right now, we have it. Uh, we have the world's most intense uh, neutron uh, source, provides the most intense continuous stream of neutrons for imaging. And we have the manufacturing demonstration facility where we're looking at uh, new manufacturing technologies, low-cost composites, additive manufacturing, roll-to-roll -roll processing of, for making batteries and other kinds of technologies. And, and we're open to taking this base research, finding industrial applications, bringing industrial partners in, and working with them directly to try to solve challenges. And all of this aimed at helping U.S. manufacturers stay among the leading manufacturers in the world. Exactly. Those are the partnerships that we're really proud of and, and excited to continue. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Dr. Brian Post from Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Thanks for joining us on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Dr. Post was one of the featured speakers at our Thinking Forward event at the Airbus Experience Center in Washington, D.C., and his talk created a real buzz among AEM members who came out for the event, including Dave Fraking, the manager of Mobile Cranes at XCMG American Research Corporation. One of the things that's frustrated me about the construction industry, and I'm in the crane side of the industry, and I'll come out with a crane that's two foot longer than your crane and lifts another 100 pounds, and next year my competitor comes out with a crane that's two foot longer than mine and lifts 100 pounds more than mine. If I can get to know my customer better and what new things are coming in the industry, then that gives me the opportunity to build a product up front that satisfies his needs and says, when he looks at something, he says, yes, that's the product I need to do this job, as opposed to just coming to him and saying, my product's now two foot longer than the one you bought last year. And that to me is what excites me about something like that and developing these new technologies because then I can go back and look at it and say, okay, so these new technologies are coming. My customers are starting to look at this stuff. How can then I build equipment that's going to satisfy the need to help support that? 
I couldn't help but notice that Dr. Post mentioned that his concrete extruder is suspended from a crane. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> I, I bet you did. Do you see that as being a, a potential area to really build out and expand the business? Absolutely. I mean, it's a new way of using a, a piece of mobile equipment that you haven't used it for in the past, so that's a new opportunity. Now, it may close other places where you used it before and now you don't need to use it. For instance, if I'm doing a building like that maybe i don't put a tower crane on it anymore i bring in a a crawler crane and set up and do this kind of a job but it's going to be a dynamic changing market as it goes forward just like it always has been paul parker is the director of brand and customer experience at volvo construction it's amazing to look back to start off with the things that were new in 1993 and 1995 that they were talking about that now we just accept Mm -hmm. and so you can see that these people were bold enough to put this forward which back then of course it was nowhere near as accepted so when you see this now and you see what's coming next i mean at conexpo we saw a 3D printed excavator. And when they told us they were going to do that, I I was fortunate enough to be on the ConExpo committee last time around and see some of this in the works. And it was incredible to see that they were talking about doing it. I thought, oh, well, they'll they'll 3D print the arm or they'll 3D print a a little part of it. They have this vision and this courage to do these things. And they're looking for people like us to partner with them and take those steps. And so I think that's an exciting prospect, not just for AEM, but for the individual companies within. Seeing them make the leap then into concrete printing, yeah, um, does that open up, do you think, whole new doors for our industry? And, and where does that wind up in 5, 10 years? I think it stands to be one of those big moments that really shifts an entire industry. And someone having the vision to take something to that large of a scale to make that happen, it's, it's really pushing the bounds. And again, it just takes a bold vision and it, it takes people committed to it. Anything else to add? Uh, I just really enjoyed the experience. Uh, it's nice to take a break from your day-to-day and come to something like this and really push your own limits a bit and really open your own mind up. And you can see other people doing the same. And so part of that boldness builds when you see other companies and other people opening their minds up the same way. And with that endorsement ringing in your ears, it's as good a time as any to tell you about the Thinking Ford events that you can still attend in person this year. On May 14th, we're going to be in Detroit, Michigan, talking about autonomous vehicles and the future of mobility at the Henry Ford Center. As an added bonus, attendees get to take the Ford Rouge factory tour and see the cutting-edge manufacturing techniques in use there. We've also got events on the calendar in September, October, and November in Toronto, Milwaukee, and St. Louis. All the details at aem.org think, where you can reserve your space now. And that is going to wrap up this edition of the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. For more valuable industry insights, make sure that you're signed up for the AEM Industry Advisor, our twice-weekly e-newsletter. Visit aem.org slash subscribe to get on the list. If you need to get in touch with me directly, shoot me an email at podcast at aem.org. The AEM Thinking Forward podcast is brought to you by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Little Glass Men does the music. And for AEM, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.